0: What's up, everybody? This is the Growth Mindset Podcast, powered by Ludlow. Our focus is taking it apart, putting it back together again by focusing on the extraordinary individuals that have that growth mindset. Whether they're founders, ball players, artists, musicians, entrepreneurs, multidimensional leaders, you name it. We're going to interview them. We're going to take it apart. We're going to put it back together again. Understand the lens through which they see the world, how and why they're able to do what they do, their techniques, their tips, their habits, And most importantly, besides understanding the way they live, the way they, you know, operate in their work, we're going to understand how they get better every single day. Hope everybody enjoys. Welcome to the podcast. And we're recording. So this is officially the Growth Mindset Podcast, as you probably already heard in the little bumper on the front end. Um, I am here with John and John is... A very, very important part of a very near and dear to my heart company called Air. Um, we were just talking about Bruce Springsteen, Brian Koppelman, and the creative process, because as you can see over John's right shoulder, uh next to that horrible Mets sign. Sorry, he's got the boss. Um, the boss is 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 a big part of all of this. But anyway, point being is we're gonna talk a little bit about lots of things, growth mindset being the overarching theme, of course, hence the podcast. But without further delay, I want John to have an opportunity to kind of, you know, give the audience a little bit of who are you, what you're all about, you know, background, anything you want to do. But you got like a 45, 60 second time box go.
1: Sounds good. Uh, thanks for having me, Alec. Uh, name's John Eisman from the great state of New Jersey. Uh, I've nice. been living in Brooklyn for the last five years, uh, and now I'm part of a team at AIR, which is a creative uh, media software company. We build a tool to help teams create fast, fun, and easily. Uh, I've been sort of all over the place for the first couple of years of my career in New York, from finance to music and media, and now uh, working for Shane and Tyler over at AIR. Been there for the last year on the growth team, responsible for Anything from customer experience all the way out to marketing and acquisition, uh, anything to, to get people into the product, have them try it out and hopefully make their team a bit more creative.
0: Awesome, bro. All right. So again, this is going to be one of these free form things, but you just triggered something we talked about yesterday, which I think is interesting in terms of your background and how there's so many parallels to Shane's, our good friend and the co-founder and CEO. Um, so we're not going to get all like academic and like, you know, let's break down the growth mindset into its component parts, because I don't think anybody, yourself included, is going to appreciate that. What I'd love to talk about is, you know, the the real life application of the growth mindset as it relates to your, you know, background. So number one, and I'm going to shout out Sally Pancakes, Julia LaRoche, my wife, UNC Chapel Hill is full of so many entrepreneurial people. I, I had no idea. I feel like I bumped into a, a Chapel Hill, Tar Heel entrepreneur left and right. And I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but that being said, what I think is interesting is, just like Shane, you started your career, you went into the world of finance and you know, finance is awesome, it's great. Um, but there are dimensions of that industry that that are lacking, I think, for some people that have a more perhaps dimensions of a creative orientation that would enable them to want to and pursue an industry like music. And then you went from there and you connected with Shane and, and here you are, I imagine, bringing, you know, a lot of that together, which is part of why I love working with you because you got that cross-functional, you know, kind of strategy orientation, which I think makes you very, very good at what you do. But so talk a little bit about like the idea that you know how you were making the decisions as to okay i'm going down the path i graduated i went into finance you know i like this part that part but I, i'm i'm interested in these other areas to music to connecting with shane to being at air and now you're you know driving and, and helping you know um, propel this rocket ship to its next level and like talk a little bit about your instincts and your decision-making and the wiring versus, you know, perhaps somebody that influenced your 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 trajectory and was like counseling like mentors or whatever. Just talk a little bit about that. I think people really like hearing that and understanding that because a lot of people don't have necessarily, um, courage is the wrong word, but, you know, those are really smart, you know, courageous moves. And so I'd love yeah. to hear a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Courage. Courage was not the word when I told my parents that I was leaving Wall Street to go make basically minimum wage at a record company. But how I got there was started at Chapel Hill and everyone there was, you know, basically in the business school, consulting, banking, or doing something crazy with the startup, uh, to your point. Interesting. And my parents, my whole life were just like, get a job on Wall Street, work on the, the floor of the stock exchange was like the, the picture of success. And I had no idea what that meant until I ended up on a trading floor um, after school and loved it um, for a while and just started to realize after year one, year two, that if this is not what I want my life to look like, it's going to be hard to get out of, right? Cause it's, mm. it's a great job. You know, you work with super bright people, you make a fair amount of money, um, especially even at a young age. So it's hard to get in, you know, year three, year five and your next job is, looking totally different. So a couple years in, um, I just made a jump and said, what am I interested in? What do I want to try? And that was, you know, creative work, media, television, and wound up at Columbia Records of all places. Finally found a guy who commiserated with my story and let me in having zero music experience other than a few Springsteen concerts with my parents. Oh, well, and obviously, it wasn't yeah. any other artists. I mean, there it is. Exactly. I got a Beatles poster on the other end of me, but mostly-, mostly hey. the- Beatles? Springsteen.
0: I like Springsteen.
1: Exactly. There's the Jersey grit in me. Um, that's, that's the Jersey translation of Growth Mindset. Nice. Um, so was at Columbia for a couple of years basically doing strategy behind record deals and you know, mm. doing the boring stuff when we signed a really cool artist. And that was sim- a similar experience where you're, you're going to something where either someone advised you to go to or you yourself propelled yourself into. Um, but then it was you know, my boss was at that company longer than I'd been alive. Brilliant guy, (laughs) knew exactly what he was doing, but our process was, you know, very archaic and and very static. And as was the whole company. I mean, Columbia is the Mm. oldest record company in the world. Um, A lot of history there, but a lot of, you know, a lot of lack of movement. So started to look for the next challenge, wanted to stay in New York, started to look at a few VC firms because I had that finance background. I had Finance licenses fast expiring. So that was a little bit of a motivation to maybe step back into that world and stumbled upon air through uh, our seed investor, Lara Hippo. And they introduced me to Shane. Shane and I had our first coffee, you know, just started hitting on these really weird, you know, narrow things. You know, he was from Ohio. I'm from New Jersey. He went to school on the West Coast. I was on the East Coast. but. We found kind of this middle ground in a garbage dump in Guatemala, where we'd both done mission work. Him in high school, me as part of a nonprofit, I kind of advise and help out. And, you know, down to the square mile in Guatemala City, we were, we'd been in the same place every summer for the last, you know, five, 10 years. So that was one of those crazy hits where you're like, maybe there's something, you know, underground here. And from there, you know, Shane's mindset, Shane's spirit, along with Tyler, our our co-founder, you know, I remember saying to them in the interview process, if you guys were revolutioning, revolutionizing the toilet seat, I would come and, and try to pitch it and sell it because what you guys are doing is, is interesting at its core.
0: Yeah. And I love that you have a puppy dog in the background. Um, I wish that was mine so I could be like, oh, and by the way, Winston, the little homie, you know, the big boy, I have like a gazillion names. So we, let's talk about your dog real quick. What's the name of the dog? What's the breed of the dog?
1: Yeah, so that is Moose, who's right now defending our turf from Terminator. Um, he is a, a rescue, part lab, part chow, who has massive anxiety issues. Uh, he's is dug through doors when we leave the house. He's but he's a good dog. And then I got another one, uh, Bichon Shih Tzu Mix, more of the purebred, uh, you know, girly dog, but she's, Molly. <laughs> I she's Molly, the, uh, the companions are out here.
0: Good names, good names. All right. So you touched on something that um, can move us into a whole other thread that I think is really important when it comes to this stuff. So when you told me that story, you know about the the you know square mile in in Guatemala and and the fact that you and Shane were connecting on all these different dimensions of interest and you know principles and and you know just common. Um, characteristics of your background. Number one, I thought that was like unbelievable, but then I was like, wait a minute, that actually sounds very familiar. And the familiar bit is, is I'd love to hear your thoughts on just, it seems like to me, and again, I could be wrong. It could be my own personal lens and experience, but I find that, you know, the whole birds of a feather flock together when it comes to growth mindset, you know, individuals, leaders, what have you. Um, and the way that they kind of, um, you know, not to use all the 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 jargon and the the silly cliches, although I love cliches, obviously for a reason. But it's like you kind of see the world a little bit differently, and and you maybe you see things that um, other growth mindset people, you know, oriented people see them the same way, or they see them, and and perhaps others don't, or or what have you. And you make moves and so on and so forth accordingly. There, it maybe some of it's being driven by some of your hardwiring versus things you've learned. So it's like I wonder. Talk a little bit about, you know, do you think that the growth mindset is something that you're kind of born with and, and it just evolves over time? Do you think that it's something that you're more so you learn over time and, and, it, and it continues to, to develop and so on and so forth, more deliberate? Um, and do you think that like a guy like Shane, for example, would his answer be similar to yours? Would it be different? You know, how do you think about the nurture versus nature aspect of the growth mindset?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, in classic psychology terms, it's probably more nurture, but mm. in the world of career, it's a bit more nature because I think it is developed extremely early on. I think yeah. Jane and I would both say we get it from our family, from our parents, you know, immediate and extended. Uh, I think about, you know, thinking about this conversation where I got it from, right? Yeah. One of The earliest memories I have of my dad is him not being home that much, not because he was an absent father, but for like my sentient early years, he was studying for the CFA, like always oh, like, yeah. memory, like something now that I understand how much work it is and yeah. how I have nothing to do with that, which is <laughs> Sorry, dad. <laughs> and not a, a finance firm anymore. So I think it's, it's definitely nurtured in terms of family and your early experiences. I mean, I remember being at like a summer camp when I was younger and I was, we were like doing room checks as camp counselors. And I was like, this is, this can't be how we do it. We can't write, you know, scores on a post-it. We need a Google form. We need, you know, some cloud collaborate, like just all these, I was that guy, like from a young age. Trying to make Uh, things better, right? Like, Hey, here's how it is. I want to make it better. Trying to make things better. And I think people like us, you know, people like Shane and I come together, at least from my perspective, because there's a stamp sort of on your resume or on your character by way of there being no stamp like at, at this point in my career i don't have you know i haven't built anything all that great i've been a part of a lot of really cool things and, and had a hand in, in a lot of different things and i think when when shane and i were discussing early on in this process it was you know, there's a safe candidate right someone who's gone into consulting spent some time at a bottoms up SaaS company and and knows how to sell software. And there's me who, you know, barely knows how to function in Dropbox or Google Drive, like our competitors. And he went with me because I think he looks at, you know, where I've been and says, there's this agility, there's this nimbleness, and there's this confidence to step into new things that, um, you know, is evidenced by where you've been, but is also nurtured, you know, from from where you come from.
0: That's an awesome answer. you know, and I think that agility word is a is a is a really important one. And and I I promise, at some point we're going to talk more specifically about you know air because I think it's important. The audience will appreciate that because it is all about agility, right? In many respects. Um, but tell me a little bit more before we get into that. You know, when you think about you know your kind of mindset and and your approach to you know what you do every day. Maybe actually let's do that. Let's talk about. Talk a little bit about your day-to-day. We don't have to talk about air, you know, as the, the value prop, and then we'll get to that. But I'd love to, because I think, again, I hope, I would say, um, that a lot of people that are working in an industry, it doesn't have to be finance, but a lot of people that are, you know, young, up and coming, ambitious, maybe they didn't necessarily have the same, um, you know, kind of mentors or guidance, or they didn't develop that growth mindset as early as, as you know, perhaps some of us. But they're sitting there. They're they're doing their job. You know, they're grinding it out. You know, they're successful in their in in some respects. But they're not fulfilled, right? They're not satisfied. And people with a growth mindset, if I if I know anything about it, which I I'd like to think I know something about it, right? It's like
1: I hope so too. Yeah.
0: Otherwise, why do I have this podcast? What a dipshit! Um, It's like. Like there was a Naval quote. So I love Naval and I'm sure every single person who's, you know, been exposed to Naval would say the same thing. And If you haven't, you better go check out, you know, Naval right now on Twitter. Um, but I, I, I sent out a tweet. I think it was yesterday. I think I just said I sent out a tweet. I tweeted um, 14 of my favorite quotes from him. Mm. And one of them, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher it. I can go back and check it. But it was this idea of like good artists perform, great artists play. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the next, you know, quote that I tweeted was something along the lines of, if you have the ability to pick the people that you work with, the challenges you're working on, and there was something else, that's just pure play. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like generally a lot of people want that, right. Want that ability to be like, Hey, I don't really have a job. I just, I just mm-hmm. crush what I do. And it's so fulfilling. and It's awesome. And I'm, you know, I think I'm pretty good at it and I'm getting better and better every day, but I just like, it's my thing but you have a lot of people out in the world that a have a difficult time making the, the, the right turn or the left turn, like doing what you did is like, Hey, I'm good on finance. Sorry, dad. Like I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do this. It's going to be fine. I'm going to work it out. Right. And then there's other people like Galloway who I love to death, who, who one of his famous lines recently, Scott Galloway is, you know, don't listen to the people that tell you to like, just go after your dreams because they've already made their money right yeah. they've already and i think there's a lot of of really interesting stuff in inside of all of that but to bring it all back to you and and to to ask you a question for the audience so if you could have a conversation with yourself and people just like you that are working in whether it's finance you know some some area of industry and they're a couple of years into their you know career they're feeling good but they're seeing around corners like you did right 3 years yeah. in you're like i kind of I see where I'm going to be in five to 10. And every day that goes by, if I keep doing this I mean, that much harder to take that right turn, you know, what do you suggest someone start doing to either de-risk that decision? You know, do they do a side hustle? Do they like get some mentors in other spaces? Like how do you just not just to, to suggest it's jumping out of airplane, but how do you like pack your shoe to jump, yeah. right? and jump right and not feel like you're, you're going to devastate your parents and like you're going to fail and like all these crazy doom and gloom scenarios
1: yeah i think the parachute analysis is, is funny though i've never jumped out of a plane but just either
0: I, I could never do that ever. Uh,
1: you know no chance but to jump out of a plane alone you need a certain amount of of smaller jumps right like jumps paired with someone else you know Different altitudes. I I speak like I know anything about. That sky. makes sense.
0: No, I like that. Yeah, tandem, tandem shoot. You would do a tandem. If yeah. I yeah, an element
1: of that in getting your reps in before you actually make a jump. And one of my favorite quotes. I forget who who it's from, but it's more of an idea of the more responsibility you take on, the better person you'll be. And I yeah. think that you know, infiltrates every area of your character and your work. It's not gonna make your life easier or more fun or sometimes even more interesting, but it will make you a better person in the sense of, you know, I remember being in banking and thinking, I don't even have time to, you know, it's, do I go out on a Friday night or do I look into where I want to go next with my career? And, And there's a trade off. I wasn't sitting there every Friday night doing that, but I know people, you know, friends of mine, family members of mine who sit in jobs and they say, I am just so stressed. I'm so busy that I can't even look at anything else. And that's like the first hurdle you need to get over. Mm. And then it's, you know, are you, if you want to go into music, are you trying to, you know, A&R things on the side? Are you looking for artists? Are you creatively kind of, you know, getting into the industry on your own or nonprofit work? Are you doing it on the side? Is it a passion that cannot be contained in, you know, the 4 a.m. nights of working on the side? That's pretty intuitive of where you should go next and when you should do it. Um, You know, I've always said, the line where I want to start something will be where I'm either so confident in my own capability or my motivation to do something for myself and stop working for other people that that gets really loud and I can't say no to it or some idea comes up of which neither has been too loud yet. But I think that's true for when people start to look around corners, start to think about where do I go? Um, And in terms of de-risking, that also that de-risks it, right, because you have this, this optionality um, but another, another quote around sort of don't listen to what other people tell you is this idea. And Teal said it at a, um, a graduation speech. He said, you know, don't listen to your heart. That's the worst advice you'll ever get. Your heart is, is futile. Your heart is, you know, whims, it's emotion. So don't, you know, there were days in many jobs where I'm like, you know what, I, I'm just going to quit and be a bartender. Like I would love to be a bartender in New York city. And some of my mentors and advisors would always talk about, your experiences and and the chips you have at the table, right? Like, don't just, don't throw your chips on the floor of the casino, like put them to work. And you may have to sit on them for a little bit. You may have to throw a few out here and there, but I also talk like I know how to gamble. I do not in any sense of the word, but, uh, not that I don't gamble, but I don't know how to. Um, You gotta be smart with your chips and you gotta think, and and there's definitely a point when you get to the edge of the plane and it's time to jump and your gut needs to be there but you you know what you've been, you you knew how to get onto the plane, you knew how to get up there and you knew who you were jumping off with.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. I love that. And it's exactly why I wanted to bring you on, John, because I think that there are a lot of people that, you know, frankly need to hear that. I think, I think, you know, incremental steps in that direction. Like I, you know, might be the most obvious example, maybe not, but, you know, Sarah Blakely, right. Who, you know, started and effectively not effectively built Spanx. So she yeah. did her, her, story. I don't know if you've heard, but the amount of side hustle and commit, I mean, she was just, she about de-risking. Right. And like, I think there's a lot of um, merit in that. And then this is going to be a nice transition here into talking about Eric. Cause I think it's, it's, it's a perfect, you know, question for you. We talk about, you know, the notion of, of and there's the name, Notion, one of my favorite yeah. companies, um, the notion of of whether it be, you know, emerging and more established, you know, SaaS players, like everyone now has heard of, you know, Slack. If you said Slack two, three years ago, you know, I think the answer would be, you know, what what exactly is that? Yeah. You know, so we're moving, you know, very quickly into this, this, you know, future of work that was accelerated, obviously, by everything we've all unfortunately been through in the last six, seven months with COVID. But that being said, and here's the segue, and then I'm going to go right to air. Is like I think that what's re- one of the amazing, extraordinary gifts that we all have now in terms of exactly what you're saying about, hey, do a little side hustle experimentation is that whether you want to call it the low code, no code movement, you know, whatever you want to call it, the creator movement. Um, the ability to build an audience and, and, and monetize, you know, as an individual, et cetera, disintermediation. There are all these great you know, opportunities for people to experiment, right? And to test and learn and iterate. But now moving to business, right? Business proper with a more of a capital B, um, you know, air, and now we're going to get into it. You know, half an hour in. So if anyone was tuning in, just or you know, download the podcast or just hear about air. Sorry, um, got to get done stuff first. But um, you know, air sits in a really, I think, enormously cool space, right? So it's in the space of the future of work. What do we mean by that? It's it's a much, much, much more modern, intuitive, better way. To achieve certain results. And it just so happens, one of my favorite you know terms, that we talked about with Springsteen, creative process, yeah. right? So it sits inside of a process. So when I say creative process, for those that are listening that are in that world, whether you're in the you know arts, you know, area, you know, musicians, advertising, marketing, you know, social media, whatever it is, you know what that means. For those that don't, let's just clarify real quick what we mean by the creative process. And then I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about. The ecosystem of these future of work players, like the notions and air and airs and so on and so forth, and we'll get into it, but creative process. Yeah. So keeping it simple, right? And John, you correct me because you're in this every day, is like, let's just use something that is easy to understand, right? For anybody, is like if I own a business and I want to create some sort of a, a advertising or marketing campaign on social media you know, what I have to do is think through, you know, who am I gonna be communicating with, you know, what is the insight and and so on and so forth that informs like the creative assets I'm going to create, and the content and the video and all this stuff. And then eventually there needs to be a production process that, you know, takes shape and then edited and then distributed and then measured. All of that stuff is the creative process, right? And the people that are the creatives in that process you know they put up with a lot of friction because they love being creative and they 're really good at it and it 's magic and it 's a, it's a gift um, and those that are around them you know help them move that stuff along and so on and so forth but generally speaking there 's tons of friction in that process and what you said about your experience in the music industry ties directly back to what Shane experienced as the you know, chief Digital officer of Revolt um tv etc which led to the the birth event, uh, effectively and eventually of, of yeah. air so before we get into like the specifics of air because i think that folks will get you know be stoked on that and interesting that's the creative process so let's talk a little bit about your point of view on the ecosystem of the future of work and and you know you have that orientation like you walk into a room as a camp counselor or as an executive today and you're looking around you're like all right so here's how things are getting done okay cool so that works. This could be better. This, this is crazy. I don't know why we're doing it this way. Let's, let's try some other stuff. So talk a little bit about the future of work ecosystem, the technologies, the players, you know, that, that you think are really interesting. Cause again, I imagine some folks listening to this might not know who notion is, um, but maybe they know who Airtable is, but anyhow, just the hit list as a guy in the trenches in this world, doing all sorts of great
1: things. Yeah. And to hit on some of those names, but also take it outside of the names if people are not familiar with them there are now these tools in this category of future of work. And I kind of allude to it as just things that work, right? Like tools that do their job better than how we've all been doing them at work in our personal life everywhere else. And I think what, what notion, which some people describe as a note-taking app has done and just made running a business as simple as taking notes or Airtable has done for data, um, democratize the process. So it's made it easy for someone to, build a no-code website on Notion, or made it exciting for someone to work with data, not only because they needed it in their seat, um, but they wanted to be the data guy. Like I always, I took one stats class in college, but I love working with data and I wouldn't be able to do it without Airtable, right? I, I'm not an R guy, I'm not gonna hop into SQL anytime soon, but Airtable is like the light version. And to move closer to the creative process, um, Figma, who's a company close to our heart that we use every yeah. day, um, Fields talks about democratizing design, right? Making everyone in the company a designer, which is really cool, right? Data isn't that sexy, you know, information and documents aren't that great to talk about Airtable Notion, not to knock them, but design is interesting, right? When you get the invite as a sales guy or a BD guy to the Figma space, you're like, well, I'm a, I'm a designer now, this is cool. I have <laughs> what this is gonna look like. And that's what AIR is for the creative process, right? So mm-hmm. regardless of where you sit in a company, whether you are a social media intern that has unfortunately turned into a Dropbox database manager and people <laughs> are looking for an email header or the logo for their email design. And, and you know if you're the sales guy looking for the logo in your email footer, you're constantly looking for content. You're constantly iterating around content internally, externally. Uh, we work with a ton of DTC brands and agencies and what we're trying to do is take away any of the creative work that is not fun fast and easy. So whether we sit at the hub between agency and client where you're, you know, collecting assets from a photographer on a public airboard, bringing it into the space and, you know, creating selects, creating presentations, discussing and collaborating on the platform, not losing things in the cloud or losing things in a Slack channel. Uh, or airdropping the wrong thing to your social media manager, posting a grainy asset. Um, we don't want brands to get lost in this process. So we want to make the creative process more fun, easier, uh, cut out, you know, make it less of a process. Uh, so people yeah. just be creative. Uh, and what AIR does is, is sit at the center of that and, and live as the home for, for these assets. So kind of what Notion has done for documents and Airtable has done for data, we're trying to do for content.
0: So yeah, that's a killer explanation, right? And I and I know that um, you know on my core because I'm a you know massive fan and user of Air, but I I think I think what's interesting about this conversation too is to kind of keep going down the path but turning it around. So you know, at the risk of stating the obvious, right? Change management is arguably one of the hardest, if not the hardest thing to do in business, right? So as you mentioned, like at Columbia Records, there's like a way that they were doing things. And that's a creative industry, right? Which is ironic and interesting. Same with Shane at Revolt. It's like, here's how we do what we do. This is what this is our formula for success, right? And so obviously things are shifting, you know, rather quickly and more so than ever and the future is being pulled forward as a result of all the stuff that we've talked about. But it's interesting because there's a guy named... Uh, Jamin Bell, who writes Clouded Judgment for Redpoint, I think is the, is, is the firm he's with, but he he studies um, uh, cloud companies, right? And their earnings, and these are publicly traded extension and, and some stuff a little beforehand, but trends and things. And so I think it was yesterday, the day before his newsletter came out and he essentially said, the earnings weren't as explosive as we expected, myself included being an analyst for this last quarter. And it's not because everybody isn't all in on cloud and doing it yeah. differently and better. It's just that folks were trying to batten down the hatches, get themselves situated. They know what's coming yeah. and now they're going to go. And so his expectation was the next you know, six months, we're going to see some you know, serious growth. And so I wonder, the question for you is, and again, this might be for folks in the audience too, or like, I really want to do this, you know, but how do I get my boss to sign off on doing something differently, right? Because it sounds like to me, and again, you tell me if I'm um, you know, understanding this in the wrong way, right. the creative process is full of friction. That I know, yeah. number one. Number two, I know there's a ton of legacy, all due respect, shit infrastructure that's being leveraged and used because it's always been there, right? Number three, I know there are a lot of people in the organization that we're talking about, organizations that don't necessarily have a time bandwidth or, or, you know, kind of comfort level in understanding some of the fundamental changes that have happened as a result of, of what you can now build with cloud and so on and so forth type of, of rooted technologies, right? So how do you help the people on the other side of the table understand that, hey, all due respect, you know, what you're doing is great, Mm -hmm. but you do it with with air. Air will enable that creative process to be 10 times better, right? Maybe five times to be conservative, right? So how do you help people understand and maybe it's just, they should just try it. Right. Like, I mean, is that the best way to do it? is like, as opposed to us talking about it, as opposed to us putting a PowerPoint up or talking about yeah. like a, a case, study, should people just try these tools kind of like your side hustle thing? Or like, what, what's, what's the way to to get someone to experience the magic moment? Cause I remember the first time I used air and I was like, Holy shit. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I don't have to to do all these other things. I can just be creative. It's amazing. So how do you, how do you do that? Cause you're on the front end of the the, the conversation. Like, what are those conversations like and what are people's reactions typically when you start to articulate what AIR can do to enhance the creative process?
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and first of all, I, I don't want to, I, I want to make sure everyone at these larger companies <laughs> is like afraid to try out something new.
0: Oh, good. I thought you were going to say, don't listen to Alex saying their infrastructure shit. I, I was like, because it's not true-ish, so, but I'm, it's...
1: I'm, yeah, but I recognize the fact that like these larger companies are like steam engines and it's like... Yeah. Well- pebble is in our like changes cool we might you know go off the rails but i remember it at, at some of my previous jobs we started to use slack or monday.com and it was yeah. like, right because and people were afraid of that people were afraid to you know bring something in and you know well we have you know teams or skype chat why are we using slack as a safe um and i think where it starts especially with folks like us in the workplace you know teams at air you know a, we'd land with a ton of kind of millennial workforce users. Yeah. We're designed for people of any age category seat. Uh, and twofold where we land is super successful. One, when this whole pandemic began on the weekend of March 15th, I was in my Honda Civic, you know, running around the island of Manhattan picking up boxes of hard drives from people. Of course. Is, luckily for them, folks that we'd already started conversations with, and they understood this idea that, you know, you have 85 terabyte Lacey drives sitting in a database manager's office. This is not going to work long term and it's definitely not going to work for the next six months. So mm. um, that is sort of a big pain and a big fear of, hey, we've been operating remote for the last eight months on 10 percent of our creative content. You know, mm. we, a company like Robinhood is a perfect example. Um, one of the biggest nonprofits, most successful New York nonprofits. They have content from the seventies on hard drives and they can't use it, but they have some great, you know, speeches, wow. their galas and benefits, and they bring it into air and they can find everything in two clicks. And it's not a 10 step process of creating a ticket for an asset and digging into all these things. And then on the other end, and sort of the more lightweight, I think about a lot of the small 12 person DTC startups we work with it's we're often the first piece of infrastructure that they buy, right? That mm. first, you know, non-free trial that we're going to use. That being said, just, just try it, right? Like we, we can be in not only make the creative process easy, but I said fast, right? We can be an accelerant on creativity. So with every company now being a media company, there are 8k photo shoots, you know, 64 gig videos flying around the organization and what you're the content you're putting out the content you're creating can now be significantly limited by the infrastructure that it's running on especially as we're all sitting in bedroom offices and you know kettle spaces in the city to the extent they open up uh, outside of an office where we can hand over a drive or or do anything like that so you know there are teams that have been you know legacy worlds that have found success on air and, and folks that are just starting up and saying this is how we're going to build our brand. And this is where we're going to live for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I'll give you an example of something I experienced with you guys that was like, whoa, for me to kind of, I think speaks to that, right? So, you know, there's no question that there's a outrageous amount of content, whether it's from the seventies or otherwise, that exists. And we all have different, you know, levels of access to it and, and what have you. But I remember I think it's, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the acronym is ICR. So image color recognition. So an aspect of AI that learns and understands not just the metadata tags you already have to associate with the content that you have, but it it starts to develop a better and better understanding of the nuances of the of the imagery. And so I, I promise you, I'm not going to say names of brands because I don't know, I don't want to get you guys in trouble, but I, I, there's this brand that everyone knows that's like awesome and very sport and lifestyle oriented and does ridiculous creative work that I love and inspires all of us. Mm-hmm. And there was a bunch of content that we just dropped in, right? By, by, I think by way of, maybe it was like 2000 or 5000, you know, images, right? And within a fraction of a second we were able to start searching using the way that our minds work as opposed to like do I remember the metadata tag from this shoot at that like I don't my mind doesn't think I cannot remember any of those but I know what blue is right and I know what orange is yeah and I know what uh basketball versus hockey is you know and and so I think that It's a a silly example, but maybe for the audience, it helps make it more tangible, but Mm -hmm. maybe just talk a little bit about like, for example, right? The technology, you know, effectively eliminates a lot of that work of like trying to remember, right? How am I gonna architect and organize my files, right? Mm -hmm. On the front end, so God forbid, I need something from the 70s in two and a half years. So that you don't have to do that, right? Isn't that kind of the, some of the promise, you know, at a tactical level is like air just is, is kind of your brain over here, right? On some yeah. of these things, so you don't have to worry about that. And you can focus on being creative and like get that cool content, the 27 pieces out of the 5,000 and just yeah. rock and roll and do something awesome on social. Cause my fantasy football team just dominated my league and I get yeah. to create something and remind everybody of it, you know? Yeah.
1: And I think to talk about like, to bring growth mindset back into it. Yeah. Yeah product that we built is really like harks on these principles of the growth, growth mindset, you know, yeah. like delightful, intuitive, transparent, and like powerful, like simple, but powerful. And I believe the company you're talking about is Duke basketball. So.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know you're a Tar Heel and my wife yeah. is going to hear this and she's like, why would you bring up that team of all teams? But yeah. yes, it happens to be the team that coach K leads and he happens to be, you know, pretty awesome.
1: I'm, I'm actually a big Mike Posner fan. That's a fringe fact about you know, the only dookie that I really like um, and a few. They teams. win. I mean, they win. You can't, you can't, you can't deny that. They like to win. The winners, unlike my Mets back there. Um, Stevie Cohen's got you though. Don't worry about yeah, so, that. Yeah. Um, you know, David Bradley, who's the creative director at Duke, has been there since he was a student. So in 2000, you know, he was at yeah. Duke in 04, 05, as social media launched onto the scene. He was the guy. Like he started the Twitter account for Duke, which was it's amazing. first you know college Twitter account to a million, two million followers, and I just think how rare is it that not that he's just a social media manager anymore. He's at the helm of one of the largest brands. They have they create more brand value than half of the pro teams in the country right now. Um, it's
0: crazy. So
1: impressive. Dollars in brand value every year, um, but he's carried the entire organization through this transformation um, from. Duke being a university and a powerhouse basketball team to Duke being a brand. Yeah. And the value that he saw in air just a few years ago, they were one of our first uh, pilot customers was one, I can bring everything in, in a click, whether it's in Google drive dropbox my yeah. hard drives um, you know, you guys can digitize it for me. And it is exactly how it used to live on my SAN system, my internal server um, in these folders, the structure, that's great. But, you know, if I'm looking for a shot outside, right? You know, on type grass, it comes up. On the court, hardwood, it comes up. I want something in our, you know, our home blues. I can color filter by blue and I filtered hundreds of thousands or millions of assets down to all my, you know, blue shots on the court from January, 2005, you know, two, three clicks and you're siphoning down this library. And we're trying to get away from this world one of the most painful but interesting thir- things i heard on a call once was uh, from a creative director at another sports brand they said i have to set a timer on my iphone every time i go into dropbox because i'll start looking for something and i'll get lost uh, <laughs> and this is not to not to talk about any tool specifically but it's how we all live right like i think about trying to find a you know, I put my apartment back up on the market and I had to find photos because we can't tour people digitally. And it took me 30 minutes on my desktop. Time, time boxing, time boxing is real. Exactly, so, and that's not, we don't wanna time box creativity. So Mm-mm. we want it to be, you know, a, a part of the process, so that yeah, it's a, a brand special to to our heart. Even though you know, I'm, I was born and bred. Yes, today. yeah.
0: I mean, you gotta call it out because that rivalry is so good. I don't know what the numbers are, but it's like you know, they like I remember.
1: So it, it, yeah, it's those crazy stats on like we're tied in points, tied in games. You know, that's what makes rivalries great. People
0: don't real people sometimes talk about rivalries, um not realizing like if it's one side, it's not a rivalry, right? Yeah. I mean, like. You know, when you compare the rings that the New York Yankees have versus some other teams, you know, that's just the way. Yeah, but I love the Duke. Oh, my gosh. To go see um, those two teams play, that's that's on the bucket list. But going back to what you said about all of the things associated with what you can enable Duke to do. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that I've learned over my, you know, now that I'm an old man is like, I never used to think about risk nearly as much as I do now right and i think risk mitigation is so much more interesting to me today than i think about the upside right so a lot of what we're talking about is upside right but if i were on the other end of this and if i was someone that was resistant to change one of the first things i would say is like yeah yeah, yeah that sounds great but that's like too much right like i don't know that someone's going someone's going to do something with the content right but i know you guys have enormous amounts of quality control and other dimensions of, of what effectively amounts to risk mitigation. And I think that's also interesting for the, I guess the audience, hopefully you guys are starting to think of risk mitigation as exciting as upside, but let's talk about that because it is part of the growth mindset is like calculated risk taking. So talk a little bit about how, you know AIR has also enabled all of these dimensions of value creation, um, but you're not taking on more risk. And in many cases, like the, the hard drives, yeah. you're actually much 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 safer and more and better off yeah. because those assets are no longer available to anyone that wants to drop them in a backpack and jump on the subway and say bye you know
1: yeah exactly and and i think there's a few categories of risk mitigation right there's like the product and the process itself and then there's yeah. the actual content like am i going to lose my stuff john yeah. like, first of all to hit on process and and the product we are we're a pretty lean team at air like we're very product heavy we have I think five to six times more engineers and developers than we do have. As you
0: doing. should. I'm gonna be the first mm-hmm. one to agree with that. All about product.
1: Yeah, and I think with any product led growth team, we all have to be product obsessed. We have to know yeah. the product inside and out, even in my seat, but to to iterate on the product and develop develop something that people like David Bradley at Duke love, we need to be customer obsessed too. And, and one yeah. thing we take very seriously in our process is, never handing people off, right? Like if you come to me and you say, hey, here's hundred terabytes of content. I don't go, hey, let me hand it to my migration <laughs> person. And then they'll hand you to an account manager and your support hours are between, you know, nine and five East coast, New York. You know, we have a team all over the world right now. Um, we have people in, in Poland. We have people in, in San Jose, like all over the place. Um, and And we're with customers. Like the reason I know so much about Duke is because... They're they're my my guys. Like I am with them, and even though I'm I'm not you know in that vertical or whatever, we're t- always touching our customers in in a, a tactical way. And then in terms of content, um, we try to make everything simple, but also you know have it as powerful as possible. So not letting you get lost in this box of a you know there's some tools out there where you got to toggle down like five steps to figure out who's getting access and. Are you going to be embarrassed because it's shared link isn't actually shared and it's not public so you can control everything that comes and goes to your library. Um, We have professional teams college teams using air to collect user generated content so sort of putting it out in the wild and kicking content out to thousands of people in the same workspace that that that's their you know private, you know, pre draft content before. You know they can't let this stuff get out because they'll know that players players are leaving the team. It's extremely secure in terms of a you know to get boring for a second permissions and, and rights and accesses um, but super transparent and easy to, to track and then in terms of data security um, you know we're you know you're backed up into data centers across the world and I always say if if your content is lost there's going to be a bigger problem in the world than your content because like the entire infrastructure of the internet is down so let me yeah (laughs) that's not going to be
0: you won't be calling us first you'll be doing something else you're
1: (laughs) going to get water first
0: (laughs) that's awesome that's i just want to make sure because again i think in my kind of my own evolution every day is you know I, i love the upside obviously and the growth stuff but i think an often overlooked dimension of the growth mindset is we're very calculated, right? We're, we're very interested in, in, you know, high leverage systems and, you know, um, mitigating risk and and maximizing, you know, everything that, that we're involved with that can create value. So, you know, that's, that's awesome. So I think that, you know, you know, period, you know, cross the T, you know, get it on air. Um, And I, I understand, you know, for sure, I think the audience will as well. Um, how it makes things better. So I guess the next question, and perhaps we're getting towards the final kind of series of questions here is more so for you um, as an individual. So you mentioned the idea that, um, you know, it's kind of like you're you're learning and you're applying it and you're learning and you're applying it, right? And you've, you clearly have a cross-functional, you know, strategy orientation and track record. And so, you know, when it comes to you know, what you think might be next for your, you know, application of your growth mindset, et cetera. Do you think that you're going to start to pick a path where you're going to, quote unquote, specialize more, less? Do you feel like there's other dimensions of what you want to kind of learn before you take a, a, a another specific step? Or do you feel like, you know, you know, growth, you know, ironically, you're in the growth, you know, vertical and space yeah. for for air, hence growth mindset, all these things that come with it, like, because I think the audience, if I, and again, if I were to back up, you know, 15, 10, 15 years in my career, and I was listening to someone in your position, not only would I be fascinated, would I be stoked and and very, very inspired, but that would be a question that I would have if I were listening, I would be like, all right, what, how does John think about, the next 18 to 36 months. And this is not like a, where is air gonna be? Cause you know, we know how quickly things are growing and changing, et cetera. But like, do you think that you're gonna say, okay I wanna be in the growth space. That's, I'm a growth guy, right? That's my thing. Or is it product or is it eventually CEO and founder of your own company? Like, how do you think about and calibrate, you know, what you're doing? Cause it sounds like there's not gonna be any more of these hard right and hard left. You're not going wall street to music. And having right. that chat with your dad, and dad being like, "John, I, I, I love you, and I, I, you know, I know that you're independent minded and thinking, and you make the right calls, but like, do you really want to do this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I don't think that conversation's coming again. Yeah. Now it's more so like, what's, the, what does that look like, and how are you thinking about it in relation to your, you know, wiring and your, you know, your process, so that folks that are thinking about you and their process can kind of be like, oh, well, here's what John was thinking."
1: Yeah, I think, I think the T analogy is super, super powerful, but also just the idea of a tool belt and that there's a finite amount of slots that you can fill on your tool belt. You can't just continue to, to bounce around and collect and often collecting a new, new tool or, or going broad instead of deep involves you taking a step back, right? Like yeah. going from Wall Street to music to tech, you're inherently taking a, you know, someone's taking a bet on you. So I always I talk about my next opportunity, whether it's, you know, a role at air or, or something else starting my own thing, it's, I never want to have to convince someone that I'm worth the risk. I think we're always doing that, you know, in, in things that we're selling and in, in how we're communicating, pitching products, pitching ourselves, but I want it to be less of a, Hey, trust me, I can do this. And then <laughs> I have to, you know, pull some 4am nights to make it happen because I, I re- it probably wasn't a good call on that person's part, but. I think I'm definitely, definitely gonna be in growth probably for the ca- rest of my career in some capacity. Um, what that looks like, who knows? Um, and I'm not really worried about that. Uh, one thing Shane does a great job of is creating this sort of vocational training program at AIR, which is this idea, not that we're a vocational school and we're gonna learn how to do a it t- trade. It's uh, this idea that if you're not working towards where you wanna be personally in, in, in your personal career, you're not going to be successful at air in the long term, right? You like align those two things. And for me, those two things are keenly aligned. So I'm not, you know, I don't have a great answer off the top of my head because I'm not thinking, Oh, where do I need to go next? What do I, who do, who do I need to be talking to? What do I need to be doing? Because I'm, I'm having conversations like this opportunities like this, you know, getting advice, advising from you and, and thinking about the business and my career in that lens. Uh, so I think it's definitely time to start diving in a bit deeper. But I, I don't think that's a complete trade-off either. I think on the top level, when you choose to go wide, you're sacrificing some depth. But when you start to go deep, you start to meet kind of these people in the trenches that could bring you back up to the left, to the right, and, and make some softer turns now that you have that that depth and experience.
0: I, I think that's an awesome answer. And just to build on that, just because I, I, I can't help but add one thing to that too, because I, I agree with all of it. And I think that There's, I don't know who said this or shared this with me, but it's kind of like when you're becoming T-shaped and what John means by that, in case anybody doesn't know, is like you're wide, right? Across a a series of of disciplines and and what have you, and you you know enough about a lot to kind of be dangerous, right? You can have a conversation with a CMO, a CTO, a CEO, a CIO, and like get a little bit deeper, Um, but you can't go really deep you know, because you're not there just yet. But as you go deeper, you become a T-shaped individual, right? So you're pretty good at a number of things, but you're really good at this one thing. And whatever that one thing is, you want to, you know, you don't overthink it. But I think what John just articulated is like, you start to just narrow the focus. So your experiments are part of your continuous learning where you're getting you're iterating and you're getting smarter and better and more effective in a more and more narrow area where you're having more and more success and and most importantly more and more happiness right mm-hmm. like you're just stoked you're just you're yeah. just playing like you're just doing your thing and so if you don't feel like you're you're you know you're hitting that sweet spot as my man david bell would say mm-hmm. um, read books like strengths finders um, do other things and i have a gazillion of these ideas that I eventually will be sharing and interviewing people like David Bell as well. One of my, um, you know, favorite people in the world and top, top mentor. Um, But so on that kind of segue, John, so not to put you on the spot here, but we'll kind of wrap things up. But one part of the podcast, I like to always kind of help others help the audience, right. Is like, where are you getting, you know, knowledge from, right. Are there, are there books that you have read that you've been, you know, that you've gone back to that are like Bibles for you, um, are there their podcasts or their Twitter feeds or their newsletters, you know, where do you kind of, you know, feed your growth mindset and it doesn't need to be professionally or, you know, whatever it is, but like, just share a little knowledge for the audience that perhaps, you know, someone will find valuable. I know I will. So I'm going to just take a note on this, although this is recorded, obviously.
1: Yeah. 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 I think, you know, one of the things I've read multiple times is, is the power of habit. Um, yeah. It's this great book that you know, sort of brings together what we just talked about—the personal, making sure that you're happy, you're hitting, you know, both sides of it, but also professional—and realizing kind of the hierarchy of where you're going and how you're getting there. Um, I'm not too heavy on you know having sort of like this this guru or, or this Twitter feed or or this book, but I think one thing we all underestimate is our personal network. So I have just a not a rolodex, but my sort of top most frequented iMessage conversations, of nice. people that are you know great friends, but we can shamelessly eat up each other's time for business advice, personal advice, and and I think that's lacking nowadays. There's a great book uh, called Bowling Alone that was written about 20 years ago, and it's this idea that if you look at every community in America, there's a bowling alley, and why the heck is that the case? Because there used to be these bowling clubs in the 50s. And we used to have friends and we used to take advice, you know, in person, not from 140 characters or a 1080 by 1080 square. Uh, so I think that is lacking amongst people, you know, in our field and, you know, in and around our, our ages, think just get out, you know, join lunch club, you know, start shooting random LinkedIn requests out for, for virtual coffees nowadays, um, and get in front of people. I think you'll learn more there than you will. Uh, from any book, podcast—not that any of that is bad, because that's on demand—but going out there and putting yourself out there is, is you know, it pays dividends.
0: That's an awesome answer. That's superhuman, and and I know you well enough to know that you mean that 110. Um, I I appreciate, it, man. So look, um, you know, we do need to talk a little bit about the Mets before we wrap this up, and this can be positive, right? Positive. So, um. I'd like to just, we're both going to forget his name. You got to look at him up while I'm saying it. The GM from Chicago that you guys are going to, and I'm sorry, BVW. I think that's the acronym for the current GM. Um, come on. What is his name? We're going to get him.
1: What is it? Theo Epstein?
0: Theo Epstein. Yeah. Theo. All right. You heard it here first. Steve oh, boy, Cohen I mean, is going up, to yeah. get Epstein to come in and sort you guys out. Because here's the thing. When he does that, he will have turned around and lifted the curse on the Red Sox, the Cubbies, and the Mets, right? Which would make him the most prolific, you know, professional sport executive in the history of the game.
1: I think the the Mets may be more difficult because it's not a curse. It's just a (laughs) general, you know, lack of ability. So you guys just suck. You're not
0: cursed. You just suck.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, that's part of the growth mindset, right? Put the (laughs) the onus of responsibility. Point yourself.
0: Totally. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Growth Mindset Podcast, powered by Ludlow. Come back next time and listen to more. Help us get better. So true. If there's anything that you got to start with is you got to do a lot of this, right? Yeah. Um, so this is awesome. man. I appreciate it. So this is John Eisman checking out from AIR. Um, appreciate the time, my man. And uh, keep keeping Thanks, on. Dude.
1: Thanks for having me. been a pleasure.
0: All right, dude. I'll talk to you. All right. See you.